You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's topic, a uh, shout out to my source. Uh, they would like to rena- uh, remain anonymous, but they know who they are. Uh, thank you so much for this information. It is truly appreciated. Uh, today's topic, we're going to get into uh, how deep colonization really was with indoctrination. I know as we have these discussions on identity and specifically when we get on the topic of people in the Americas that have been renamed African-Americans are further from being that title of African. Uh, We've gone over pretty extensively how that particular group called African-Americans falls into more than likely two categories. Either they are uh, European from Black Europeans that came over to the Americas either under an pres- a pr- prison sentence and were banned from Europe or they came over under an indentured servant contract to work, okay? And yes, they were melanated, a.k.a. black, from Europe, okay? So we're talking Ireland, we're talking um, England, all right? Or they were already on the American soil, for generations upon generations upon generations. And in most cases, they have both heritage. So meaning that Black European heritage slash immigrant married indigenous folks, okay? So that's the true story of whom they are labeling in the Americas as African-American. And we know that because all you have to do is look at the records, look at the paper trail, okay? So as we are starting to reawake to this information, although if you were lucky enough to have your ancestors around, they would have told you this information, Now, they wouldn't have, in a lot of cases, told you the Black European side, but they certainly told you the Indian side, okay? So now that this conversation is being awakened and people are finding their heritage uh, through the records and matching up with what their family members have been telling them. You also get the naysayers who are questioning other folks' heritage and asking, well, what happened to the culture? Well, why don't you speak 
Indian, quote, quote, Indian language. Why don't you dress that way, et cetera, et cetera, which to me is a stupid conversation because the same folks that are asking you this are deeming themselves a said nationality and the same can be said for them. Well, why aren't you, first of all, where are you from? I need specifically where you are from. I need to know when your folks hit the shores, etc. And why aren't you carrying over any of those cultures? Why aren't you even on down to the food that you put in your mouth, tying that back to any of those said African nations? Okay. So you see how that conversation swings both ways, whereas the folks with the Indian heritage can tie the way they dress, the way they wear their hair, the way the, the food that they eat ties to this land, okay? Even the European side ties to their culture, Nothing in their culture ties to Africa, okay? So we're going to talk about today how deep colonization really runs because as we keep telling you, colonization is much more than about the coming over, taking the land and enslaving the indigenous population. It is also taking over or reprogramming the culture, all right? So this is from a site called History Matters, and this is Kill the Indian and Save the Man, Captain Richard H. Pratt on the education of, of Native Americans, okay? Beginning in 1887, the federal government attempted to Americanize American Indians, largely through the education of Native youths. By, 19, by 1900, thousands of Native Americans just going to blow this up a little bit for me. Thousands of Native Americans were studying at almost 150 boarding schools across the United States. The U.S. Training and Industrial School founded in 1879 at Carlisle Barracks, Pennsylvania, was the model for most of these schools. Boarding schools like Carlisle's provided vocational and manual training and sought to systematically strip away tribal culture, okay? So a lot of us from the South, uh, we also know of these particular boarding schools that had uh, Indian populations in them. And you also have to factor in the schools that were stood up and you saw particularly what well, the narrative says you have in there um, former slaves, okay? 
So all of those Christianized schools that were stood up, this is a part of programming the populace into a culture that you want them to be, okay? Part of the colonization process, if you look at the different historical records, was definitely bringing over missionaries from Europe to Christianize these indigenous populations. Okay? So it has several folds to it, several purposes. Number one is to change the culture, uh, to get folks colonized, into the mindset so the generations after can accept the system and on a spiritual level, which is always the most important level, is to tie your spirit slash soul to these particular systems, okay? For the purpose of harvesting labor, i.e. your energy. So let's continue. They insisted that students drop their Indian names, forbade the speaking of native languages, and cut off their long hair. So let me run that back for the slow ones in the back. Asking the questions, what happened to the heritage? And although the heritage is still not lost, but it's definitely been usurped. They insisted that students drop their Indian names. Okay. Now, this is for anyone that is in the Americas specifically North America. I can't speak for the Caribbean islands. Can't speak for South America. I can't speak to Canada. Can only speak to North America, excluding Canada. If you are melanated, more than likely... More than likely, when that child is born, when you have children being born, they are giving the Christian name. And that's only because they're required under this system to give a Christian name. And But as a culture, as a culture, they are also giving that child, today we call them nicknames. And that nickname is given at a later date. So as the child gets from the age of, uh, could be anywhere from six months to the year mark, the behavior of that child, the personality of that child derives what their nickname is going to be. That nickname is 
your cultural indigenous name. That's how it is done. That's how it was done for generations. So if you are holding a nickname and that nickname, you know, only family know that nickname. It is a family thing. Your family may not even know (laughs) your Christian slash government name, but they surely know that nickname. That is your indigenous name. It has been done that way for thousands of years. Okay. So they insisted that students drop their Indian names, forbid the speaking of native languages. Okay. So all of you all, y'all know that term, pig Latin, Ebonics, slang. Where do you think that came from? Okay, that's no accident. Again, we even speak two languages. Okay, we speak a cultural language. We speak a cultural language. And then you speak proper English. And when you're speaking proper English, when more than likely you're doing that, you are doing that when you are doing business, when you are conducting commerce, but when you are among family members, friends, and other folks that understand your culture, you speak differently. Same difference. So they insisted that students drop their Indian names, forbid the speaking of native languages, and cut off their long hair. Now, it's interesting. Um, my grandmother, uh, she's transitioned but she would always get on us about cutting our hair. Always, 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 always. Why are you cutting your hair? Back in the day, I used to always, I get tired of my hair, I'm going to chop it off, whatever. What happened to your hair? Why are you cutting your hair? Oh, Grandma, I just wanted a new look. Always, always, always. And I was told that's just a cultural thing. Your your strength, part of your strength is in your hair. And I never really thought about it until I started reading up on cultural things. Okay? All right. So just for the last time, they insisted that students drop their Indian names forbade the speaking of native languages and cut their long hair. Not surprisingly, such schools often met fierce resistance from Native American parents and youth. And I just want to also point out that, that even today, that whom they are deeming African Americans, 
there's still a battle about how the hair grows up out of our scalp and how we choose to style it. There was even legislation passed, I think it's called the Crown Act, to not deem how American women, specifically melanated, a.k.a. Black American women, wear their hair. Because apparently in the workplace, in the corporate workplace, they were trying to deem how Black American women wear their hair. So in other words, if it's not Europeanized, if it's not straight, that that was deemed not acceptable. So even to this day, now to my knowledge, nobody else in the Americas, specifically the U.S., had to have legislation around leaving folks alone with the way they want to wear the hair coming up out of their scalp because it's from a cultural perspective. Okay. Not not surprisingly, such schools often met fierce resistance from Native American parents and youth, but the schools also fostered a sense of shared Indian identity that that transcended tribal boundaries. The following excerpt from a paper read by Carlisle founder Captain Richard H. Pratt at an 1892 convention spotlights Pratt's pragmatic and frequently brutal methods of civilizing the savages including the analogies to the education and civilizing of African-Americans. Hmm. So both the Indian and the African-American had to be civilized, huh? Make no mistake, it's one in the same population. It's one in the same. But let's continue. And I also want to point out before I continue this, This was around the planet uh, period. So don't think for one minute that this was just exclusively to the Americas. This was across the entire planet anytime a particular area was taken over the same type of methods, the same type of methods were using used. All right, so a great general has said that the only good Indian is a dead one and that high sanction of his destruction has been an enormous factor in promoting Indian massacres. In a sense, I agree with the sentiment, but only in this, that all the Indians there is in the race should be dead. Kill the Indian in him and save the man. Okay, so do y'all enter and understand how deep that particular sentence is. Kill the Indian in him, so strip away the heritage, separate from the identity, 
and save the man. We are just now making a great pretense of of anxiety to civilize the Indian, okay? So it's always civilize someone. Civilize the Indian, civilize the African. Pick a culture that was overthrown and you're going to see that term, civilize them. So in other words, strip them of their culture, separate them from their identity, colonize them, get them to accept the corporate structure. I use the word pretense purposely and mean it to have all the significance it can possibly carry. Washington believed that commerce, I told you, Washington believed that commerce freely entered into between us and the Indians would bring about their civilization, and Washington was right. So let me read that for the slow ones in the back. I want this to sink into you. Washington believed that commerce freely entered into between us and the Indian would bring about their civilization and Washington was right. So, when I all the time talk to you all about what went wrong with these indigenous cultures, when I talk about the participation in the fall, and I specifically say smoking, sipping henny, I knew what I was talking about. It was entering into business contract deals that sealed the fate of the indigenous population. He was followed by Jefferson, who inaugurated the reservation plan. Jefferson's reservation was to be the countries west of Mississippi, and he issued instructions to those controlling Indian matters to get the Indians there and let the great river be the line between them and the whites and method of securing removal, persuasion, purchase, or force was authorized. So let's just go back over that again for those that conveniently forget history, they want to use real history, but then conveniently forget what real history said and refuse to research the hidden history and factor it all in to make the real history make sense. Jefferson's reservation was to be the country west of the Mississippi. Okay? 
So we can think of Oklahoma. We know that's one that jumps out and is the most commonly one used. But it said west of the Mississippi. Okay? So you have to put Cali and a lot of those other states into that as well. And he issued instructions to those controlling Indian matters to get the Indians there and let the Great River be the line between them and the whites. Any method of securing removal, persuasion, purchase, or force was authorized. Okay? So what we have to also be mindful those were the Indians that were either by gunpoint forced to go west or they cut deals to go west. That does not mean all Indians because the majority stayed where they were And went through their final phase of stripping the culture, stripping the land. You know those Jim Crow laws? Mm -hmm. You know those different farming acts that were passed? That forced people off of their lands? the corporatization of everything, which required taxes. Yeah, all of that part. You know those things that are called projects that were built? Mm -hmm. That's a form of reservation. I'll run that back to the slow ones in the back. You know those things called projects? Uh-huh. Yeah, that part. Those were also and are also reservations. Any method of securing removal, persuasion, Purchase will buy you out or force. Jefferson's plan became the permanent policy. The removals have generally been accomplished by purchase and the evils of this are greater than those of all the others combined. Yeah. So that purchasing part, Because those that they were purchasing from, who authorized the, the, those people to sell large acres and acres and acres of land. But let's continue. It is a sad day for the Indians when they fall under the assaults of our troops 
as in the Pegan Massacre, the massacre of Old Black Kettle and his Cheyennes at what is termed the Battle of Wichita and hundreds of other like places in the history of our dealings with them. But a far sadder day is it for them when they fall under the baneful influence of a treaty agreement with the United States, whereby they are to receive large annuities and to be protected on reservations and held apart from all association with the best of our civilization. The destruction is not so speedy, but it is far more general. The history of the Miamis, of the Miamis and Osages is only the true picture of all other tribes, or the Osoges, I'm sorry, and the Osoges, is only the true picture of all other tribes. Put yourself in his place is as good as a guide to a proper conception of the Indian and his cause as it is to help us to write conclusions in our relations with other men. For many years, we greatly oppressed the black man, but the germ of human liberty remains among us and grew until, in spite of our irregular, sorry, y'all, tongue-tied, y'all know what I'm trying to say, irregular, you know what I'm trying to say. There came the lowest savagery into intelligent manhood and freedom among us more than 7 million of our population who are today an element of industrial value which, with which we could not well disp dispense. So let me roll back there. Let me take a sip of water, child. I'm tongue-tied. And I'm hoarse for some reason. So... Let me take a sip of water. And I want to read that again. Put yourself in his place is as good a guide to a proper conception of the Indian and his cause as it is to help us to write conclusion in our relations with other men. For many years, we greatly oppressed the black men. But the germ of human liberty remained among us and grew until, in spite of irregular, but it's not that. I'm just tongue-tied. I can't say it all the way out. There came from the lowest savagery into intelligent manhood and freedom among us more than 7 million of our population who are today an element of industrial value with which we could not well dispense. So he's pretty much describing to you all how they needed to colonize, strip the culture of the black man slash Indian. Okay? Pretty much. And he's even given you a number. He's given you 7 million. He's even given you a number. 
And when he puts black man in here, it can't be African slaves uh, because if it was African slaves, why did he not say Africans? He specifically said Indian and black men. Okay. All right. Okay, so that black man also includes the black Europeans. Okay, we can check the official numbers from the slave voyager records. It was only 300,000 Africans that were transported to North America. So we're talking a 7 million population of black and brown people. But let's continue. So in other words, that's their way of saying, once again, of stripping away the culture, separating the identity, and corporatizing the indigenous population. However great this victory has been for us, we have not yet fully learned our lesson nor completed our work, nor will we have done so until there is throughout all of our communities the most unequivocal and complete acceptance of our own doctrines both national and religious. Let me roll that again for the slow ones in the back that want to ask what happened to the indigenous folks' heritage. And also for the slow ones in the back on how Christian religion came into play. However, great this victory has been for us. We have not fully learned our lesson nor completed our work, nor will we have done so until there is throughout all of our communities the most unequivocal and complete acceptance of our own doctrine. Of our own doctrines, not of the indigenous population doctrines both national, you know, the colonization part, that one world part, and religious. Not until there shall be in every locality throughout a nation a supremacy of what? A supremacy of what? Bible principle of the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God and full obedience to the doctrine of our declaration that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created free and equal with certain, with certain now, with certain inalienable rights and of all clause in our constitution, a.k.a. contract, which forbids that there shall be any 
abridgment of the rights of citizens on the account of race, color, or previous conditions. I leave off the last two words of servitude because I want to be entirely and consistent American. Let me sip some more water. So for those of you that do not understand what colonization really means, I hope you're listening. I hope you're taking notes. For those of you that want to say that the indigenous population had Christianity, hmm, I hope you're listening. I hope you're taking notes. Christianity and the adoption of the Bible, the Bible that you know today, was a part of their colonization. Inscrutable are the ways of providence, horrible as were the experiences of its introduction and of slavery itself. There was concealed in them the greatest blessing that ever came to the Negro race, seven millions of blacks from the cannibalism in darkest Africa, which we know that's not true based on their own records, only 300,000. Now, if he wants to include South America, okay. But we're not talking about the South American Constitution. We're talking about the American, but let's continue. To citizenship in freed and enlightened America. Not full, not complete citizenship, but possibly probable citizenship and on the highway and near to it. So let's go back. So horrible as were the experiences of the introduction of slave and of slavery itself. So let's clarify in case folks don't know what slavery is, because we're not going to say slavery didn't exist. Slavery was not the way they taught slavery to be. Slavery in the Americas. And really, if you look at any other place across the planet, but we're going to deal with in the Americas, happened several ways. The enslavement of the indigenous population, so meaning the people that were already on the land, which I call prisoners of war, and then you had imports or immigrants who fell under several categories. Either they came over to work and had an indentured servant contract, hence indentured servant or in servitude, or they came over as prisoners of war. 
from Europe because they were tried in their country in Europe and issued a prison sentence and sent to one of the pre, the um penal colonies okay and tacked on to that sentence was you're banned from for life you cannot come back to Europe you have a life sentence of indentured servitude. All right? And then the smallest category, now I'm speaking in the, what we call the United States today. The smallest category was importing slaves from Africa. So either they were rounding up their prisoners there in Africa and selling them to Europeans. They were coming over to the Americas. And in some cases, you still had Europeans that were in Africa for working under indentured servant contracts, or they were also sent to a penal colony in Africa and then were shipped over to the Americas. So those are the categories of slavery in the U.S. What we're calling the U.S. today They're saying only 300,000, only 300,000 came from Africa. And it wasn't even from Africa. It just said 300,000 imported. I'll have to go back. But okay, let's let's just be fair. Let's say 300,000 came from Africa. That does not equate 7 million. Okay. All right. So, but let's get back to his point. The greatest blessing that ever came to the Negro race, 7 million of blacks from cannibalism in the darkest African to the citizen in free and enlightened America, not full, not complete citizenship, but possibly probable citizenship and on the highway and near to it. There is a great lesson in this. The schools did not make them citizens. The schools did not teach them the language, nor make them industrious and self-supporting. Denied the right of schools, they became English-speaking and industrious through the influence of association. Scattered here and there, under the care and authority of individuals of the higher race, they learned self-support and something of citizenship and so reached their present place. No other influence or force would have so speedily accomplished such a result. Left in Africa, surrounded by their fellow savages, our seven millions of industrial black fellow citizens would still be savages. Transferred into these new surroundings and experiences, behold the results. They became English-speaking and civilized, 
because forced into association with English-speaking and civilized people became healthy and multiplied because they were property, became healthy and multiplied because they were property and industrials became an industry, which brings contentment and health was a necessary quality to increase their value. Now, child, let me sip some water. Because they put a lot in that. Right, we already talked about the hijack of the 7 million of Africans because that's, that's not the case. Right? So they're basically telling you how once again how to assimilate a population into a corporate citizen. So those of you that say you're from Africa, I know you understand this entire paragraph. But yet, you don't understand it for other folks who are not from Africa. You see your flawed logic, or maybe you don't. The other piece to this is to understand that in order for a colony to be profitable, you have to get the property... Whether or not you want to say property, whether or not you want to say slaves, whether or not you want to say citizens. And I think over in Europe, it's uh, subjects. Same difference. Same difference. You have to get them assimilated into your corporate structure so they can become profitable subjects so they can become profitable to the corporation because at the end of the day this is about commerce it is about business and on the spiritual side it is about using your soul energy. Let's continue. The Indian under our care remains savage because forced back upon themselves and away from association with English speaking and civilized people and because our savage example and, and treatment of them. We have never made any attempt to civilize them with the idea of taking them into the nation and all of our policies have been against citizizing and absorbing them. Although some of the policies now prominent are advertised to carry them into citizenship and consequent association and competition with other masses of the nation, they are not in reality calculated to do this. 
We are, after the facts, let us take the land in servility bill. Land in servility as administered is in the way of the individualizing and civilization of the Indians and is a means of holding the tribes together. Land in servility is given to individuals adjoining each other on their present reservations. Any experience shows that in some cases, after the allotments have been made, the Indians have entered into a compact among themselves to continue to hold their land in common as a reservation. Woo! Ciao! The inducement of the bill is in this direction. The Indians are not only invited to remain separate tribes and community, but are practically compelled to remain so. The Indian must either cling to his tribe and its locality or take great chance of losing his rights and property. Okay? So you see what they did with the reservations, okay? And hence is why there aren't a lot of reservations. There aren't a lot of people on those reservations, which means that majority of the folks that were indigenous to the land didn't take that deal, okay? So now, of course, you have usurping today where folks that are on those reservations today, not all, but a lot, aren't even the indigenous people of the land. But with that said, these Indians, majority of the Indians that they are talking about did not go for that deal. Okay, And as you can see, the plight and condition of those reservations, it's not a good thing at all. So that means majority of the other Indians that are classified under the term of black and are classified under the term African-American, you know those 7 million? Although you still have to factor in out of that 7 million, you have to factor in the black Europeans. They chose not to go under a reservation. So instead, what was given to them, they were corporatized. And put under citizenship. Okay. This, uh, the day on which the land in servility bill was signed was announced to be the emancipation day for the Indians. Let's just roll that again. The day on which the land in servility bill was signed was announced to be the emancipation day for the Indians. 
The fallacy of that idea is so entirely demonstrated that the emancipation assumption is now withdrawn. We shall have to go elsewhere and seek for other means besides land and servility to release these people from their tribal relations and to bring them individually into the capacity and freedom of citizens. Just now that the land and servility is being retired as the one all-powerful leverage that is going to emancipate and bring about Indian civilization and citizenship, we have another plan thrust upon us which has received great enunciation from its authors and has secured the favor of Congress to the extent of vastly increasing appropriations. This plan is calculated to arrest public attention and to temporarily gain concurrence from everybody that is really the panacea for securing citizenship and equality in the nations for the Indians. In the execution, this means purely tribal schools among the Indians, that is, Indian youth must continue to grow up under the pressure of home surroundings. Individuals are not to be encouraged to get out and see and learn and join the nation. They are not to measure their strength with the other inhabitants of the land and find out what they do not know and thus be led to expire to gain an education experience and skill those things they must know in order to become equal to the rest of us. A public school, especially for the Indians, is a tribal system, and this very fact says to them that we believe them to be incompetent, that they must not attempt to cope with us. Such schools build up tribal pride, tribal purpose, and tribal demands upon the government. They formulate the notion that the government owes them a living and a vast sums of money. Let me run this for the slow ones in the back. Thank you to my source for this. Thank you for this. All right. In its execution, this purely means tribal schools among the Indians that is, Indian youth must continue to grow up under the pressure of home surroundings. Individuals are not to be encouraged to get out and see and learn and join the nation. They are not to measure their strength with the other inhabitants of the land and find out what they do not know and thus be led to expire to gain an education, experience, and skill. Those things that they must know in order to become equal to the rest of us. A public school system, especially for the Indians, is a tribal system. And thus, and this very fact says to them that we believe them to be incompetent, that they must not attempt to cope with us. Such schools build up tribal pride, tribal purpose, and tribal demands upon the government. They formulate the notion that the government owes them a living and a vast sums of money. And by improving their education on these lines, but giving no other experience 
and leading to no aspirations beyond the tribe leaves them in their chronic condition of helplessness so far as reaching the ability to compete with the white race is concerned. Woo. Now, I know y'all saying, okay, well, he's talking about the Indians on the Indian reservation and exclusively to them. But sounds like to me, isn't that the black race outside of those reservations, those official Indian reservations? Because the projects and the ghetto are reservations also. But outside the official Indian reservation, does that not sound like the quote, quote, Melanated black race in the Americas. Leaves them in their chronic condition of helplessness so far as reaching the ability to compete with the white race is concerned. It is like attempting to make a man well by always telling him he is sick. It is like attempting to make a man well by always telling him he is sick. We have only to look at the tribes who have been subject to this influence to establish this fact. And it makes no difference where they are located. All the tribes in the state of New York shall... Let me sip this water again, baby, baby. All the tribes in the state of New York have been trained in tribal schools and they are still tribes and Indians with no desire among the masses to be anything else but separate tribes. The five civilized tribes of the Indian Territory, Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creeks, and Seminoles have had tribal schools until it is asserted that they are civilized yet they have no notion of joining us and become a part of the United States. So notice they said the five civilized tribes. You all do realize there were thousands and thousands, hundreds upon thousands of tribes outside of these five. You do realize that, right? So when we have this ridiculous conversation about heritage, You better know what you're talking about. Okay? These were the tribes that came up under those treaties, those agreements that were signed. But there were thousands and thousands of tribes. Okay? Their whole disposition is to prey upon and hatch up claims against the government and have the same lands purchased and repurchased and purchased again to meet the reoccurring wants growing out of their neglect and inability to make use of their large and rich estates. Baby, let me tell you one thing. Let me read this back. 
Ciao. Now remember, this was uh, 18, late 1800s. The five civilized tribes of the Indian Territory, Cherokee, Choctaw, or Choctaw, it's not Choctaw, but okay. Well, I, I, I am going to say Choctaw. Because the Choctaw didn't cut a deal. The Choctaws did. The Cherokees, Choctaws, Chickasaw, Creeks, and Seminoles have had tribal schools until it is asserted that they are civilized. So, in other words, until they deem they are civilized. Yet they have no notion of joining us and becoming a part of the United States. So they're operating as separate nations. Their whole disposition is to prey upon and hatch up claims against the government and have the same lands purchased and repurchased and purchased again to meet the reoccurring wants growing out of their neglect and inability to make use of their large and rich estates. So in other words, uh, you five civilized tribes, they calling you out. They saying, listen, you signed those deals. You sold land. You were allowed to operate on the lands that you kept. And now you can't make that run in a profitable manner. So you want to keep coming back to the U.S., playing the same game again of purchasing land, repurchasing. Now, I can't speak to that. I don't know whether or not they lying on you or not, five civilized tribes, because I'm not in a, a, a one of these five civilized tribes. My people did not take said deals. Matter of fact, I saw where my people's identity was t- literally taken And that particular family went up under one of these nations. So I can't speak to what deal y'all done set up and cut, your ancestors done set up and cut. And what you are renegotiating. I'm just telling you what dude is saying in the late 1800s. Indian schools are just as well calculated to keep the Indians intact as Indians, as Catholic schools are to keep the Catholics intact. Under our principles, we have established the public school system where people of all races may become unified in every way. So let's just read that again. We have established the public school system where people of all races may become unified in every way and loyal to the government. But we do not gather the people of one nation into schools by themselves and the people of another nation into schools by themselves. But we invite the youth of all peoples into all schools. We shall not succeed in Americanizing the Indian unless we take him in exactly the same way. I do not care if abundant schools on the plan of Carlisle are established. 
if the principle we have always had at Carlisle of sending them out into families and into public schools were left out, the results would be the same. Even though such schools were established as Carlisle is in the center of an intelligent and industrious population, and though schools such as, uh, I'm sorry, and through such schools were as Carlisle always have been filled with students from many tribes. Purely Indian schools to say the Indian, you are Indian and must remain Indian. You are not of the nation and cannot become of the nation. We do not want you to become of the nation. Okay. So, I mean, they're making it pretty clear here that yeah, Indians, you can keep your little school, but but just know, we know the curriculum that's going into those schools, and it really don't matter because you're going to pick up some of our ways. You're going to operate and do business and commerce the way we want you to do it anyway, okay? Because everybody else outside of what you're saying, they're doing it the way we want them to do it anyway as citizens. But the gateway to control both is through the schools. So you have to ask yourself, how many rely on the schools to this very day to educate their children? And you don't give them any type of supplement education on, on your own. Heck, most parents are not even checking into, they don't even know what their children are learning. So even when they're teaching your children things, you can supplement them and give them the real story. Okay, and shout out to the parents that said, I don't want to deal with it at all. And they are able to homeschool their children. Good for them. And you all do realize that homeschooled children outscore any public school child. That homeschool children by their own test score standards, are up there with the private school students and can even outscore them as well. So shout out to the homeschool um, parents and the homeschool children. Before I leave this part of my subject, I feel impelled to lay before you the facts as I have come to look at them, of another influence that has claimed credit and always has been and is now very dictatorial in Indian matters, and that is the missionary as a citizen influence upon the Indians. So let me sip my water. See, because I ain't got to lie, Craig. I ain't got to lie. So he said the home... The missionaries, so how did Christianity come upon the indigenous population? 
and always has been and is now very dictatorial in Indian matters, and that is the missionary as a citizening, citizen, influence upon the Indians. The missionary goes to the Indian. He learns the language. Uh, sips water. How did the indigenous population learn the language? Because you all do know that English is the official language for commerce around the world. Let me run that for the slow ones in the back that think they're trying to learn us something. You do realize that English is the official language for commerce around the world. Right? He makes the Indians feel he is friendly and has great desire to help him. He even teaches the Indian English. But the fruits of his labor, by all examples that I know, have been to strengthen and encourage him to remain separate and apart from the rest of us. Of course, the more advanced those who have a, de have a desire to become civilized and to live like white men who would, with little encouragement, go out into our communities are the first to join the missionary forces. So if you want to understand how citizenship and how Christianity was spread among the indigenous population, he's telling you. First you bring the missionaries, convert as many of them as you can. Okay, but he's kind of contradicting himself to me. He's saying, we want you to stay Indian. Okay, if that's the case, then why are you bringing me Christianity? So you, you double talking out the side of your neck, dude. I recognize it for what it is. All right. But what he's saying, once you get those smart Indians... To realize it's better to be a citizen. Then they'll start converting their own people. They'll join the missionary forces. They become his lieutenants to gather in others. The missionary must necessarily hold on to every help he can get to push forward his schemes and plans. So that he may make good report to his church. And in order to enlarge his work and make it a success, he must keep his community together. Now, I don't know about y'all. I don't know about y'all. But melanated people, who is more into the church than anyone who always say that the church is the pillar of the community, this, that, and the third. Uh, isn't it the melanated community, a.k.a. black, a.k.a. African-American? Let's continue. 
Consequently, any who care, I'm guessing this, anyone who care to get out into the nation and learn from actual experience what it is to be civilized, what is the full length and breadth and height and depth of our civilization must stay and help the missionary. The operation of this has been disastrous to any individual escape from the tribe has vastly and unnecessarily prolonged the solution of the question and has needlessly cost the charitable people of this country large sums of money to say nothing of the added cost to the government, the delay in accomplishing their civilization and their destruction caused by such delay. Mm-hmm. Hey, but I thought they said they wanted to keep the Indian being an Indian. No, they really wanted to convert as many as they could to citizenship. If, as sometimes happens, the missionary kindly consents to let or helps one go out and get these experiences, it is only for the purpose of making him a preacher or a teacher or help of some kind and such a one must as soon as he is fitted and much sooner in most cases return to the tribe and help the missionary to save his people. Now I'm going to sip water again. I want y'all to let that sip in. Let that sip in. Let that seep in. The Indian who goes out has public charitable and charitable aid through the through his school, of course, forfeits his liberty and is owned by the missionary. In all my experience of twenty five years, I have known scarcely a single missionary to heartedly aid or advocate the disintegration of the tribes and the giving of individual Indians rights and opportunities among civilized people. There is in this, in addition, that the missionaries have largely assumed to dictate to the government its policies with tribes and their dictations have always been along the lines of their colonies and church interests and the government must gauge its actions to suit the purpose of the missionary, or else the missionary influence are at once exerted to defeat the purpose of the government. Uh-huh. So, how much influence is the colonization rename government have on those Indians who are still recognizing themselves as tribes and nations. You know, the ones that are in that five civilized tribes. Seems to me they're still running the show. They pretty much said it has to benefit the government. 
the government by paying large sums of money to churches to carry on schools among Indians only builds for itself opposition to its own interests. Okay, so he claiming in this case that by the government funding the churches and the schools that it's not in their own interest. We make our greatest mistake in feeding our civilization to the Indians instead of feeding the Indians to our civilization. America has different customs and civilizations from Germany. What, what would be the result of an attempt to plant American customs and civilization among the Germans in Germany, demanding that they shall become thoroughly American before we admit them to the country? Child, I want y'all to pay attention to this. Child, I know where blood is going with this. Child. Now, what we have all along attempted to do for and with the Indians is just exactly that and nothing else. We invite the Germans to come into our country and community and share our customs, our civilizations to be of it and the results is immediate success. We not try it on the Indians. I'm sorry, we. Why not try it on the Indians? Why not invite them into experiences in our communities? Why always invite and compel them to remain a people unto themselves? Right? So uh, this document is pretty much not only explaining to you how further colonization was done with stripping of the culture, separating the identity, but it is also telling you specifically how those millions of Indians became civilized slash citizens or civilized citizens. So at first they tried, okay, we're going to separate you. We're still going to control over what you do. We're going to monitor over what you do because it cannot interfere with our commerce. But what would even work better if we just invite you over to our world? Just come over to our world. You can be a citizen. Come over to our world. See how great it is? See how many benefits you get? It is a great mistake to think that the Indian is born an inevitable savage. He is born a blank, like the, all the rest of us. Left in the surroundings of savagery, he grows to possess a savage language, superstitious, superstition and life we left in surroundings of civilization grow to possess a civilized language life and purpose transfer the infant white to the savage surroundings he will grow to possess a savage language superstition and habit transfer the savage born infant to the surroundings of civilization and he will grow to possess a civilized language and habit. These results have been established over and over again beyond all question, 
And it is also well established that those advanced in life, even to maturity of either class, lose already acquired qualities belonging to the side of their birth and gradually take on those the side to which they have been transferred. We shouldn't have to break that down anymore. Okay, that's assimilation. As we have taken into our national family, seven million of Negroes. And as we receive foreigners at the rate of more than 500,000 a year and assimilate them, it would seem that the time may have arrived when we can very proper, properly make at least the attempt to assimilize our 250,000 Indians using this proven potent line and see if that will not end this vexed question and remove them from public attention where they occupy so much more space than they are entitled to either by numbers or worth. The school at Carlisle is an attempt on the part of the government to do this. Carlisle has always planted treason to the tribe and loyalty to the nation at large. It has preached against colonizing Indians and in favor of individualizing them. It has demanded for them the same multiplicity of chances which all others in the country enjoy. Carlisle fills young Indians with the spirit of loyalty to the stars and stripes and then moves them out into our communities to show by their conduct and ability that the Indian is no different from the whites or the colored, that he has inalienable right to liberty and opportunity that the white and the Negro have. Carlisle does not dictate to him what line of life he should feel, so it is an honest, honest one. It says to him that if he gets his living by the sweat of his brow and demonstrates to the nation that he is a man, he does more good for his race than hundreds of his fellows who cling to their tribal communalistic surroundings. No evidence is wanting to show that in our industries. The Indian can become a capable and willing factor if he has the chance. What we need is an administration which will give him the chance. The land incivility bill can be made far more useful than it is, but it can be made so only by assigning the land so as to interspeed good civilized people among them. If in the distribution it is so arranged that the two or three white families come between two Indian families, then there would necessarily grow up a community of fellowship along all the lines of our American citizenization that would help the Indian at once to his feet. Indian schools must of necessity be for a time because the Indian cannot speak the language and he knows nothing of the habits and forces he has to contend with, but the highest purpose of all uh, Indian schools ought to be only to prepare the young Indian to enter the public and other schools of the country.
And immediately he is so prepared for his own good and the good of the country, he should be forwarded into these other schools there to temper, test, and simulate his brain and muscle into the capacity he needs for his struggle for life in competition with us. The missionary can, if he will, do far greater service in helping the Indian than he has done, but it will only be practicing the doctrine he preaches. As his work is to lift into higher life the people whom he serves, he must not, under any pretense whatsoever, give the lie to what he preaches by discountenancing the right of any, of any individual Indian to go into higher and better surroundings, but on the contrary, he should help the Indian to do that. If he fails in thus helping and encouraging the Indian, he is false to his own teaching. An examination shows that no Indian within the limits of the United States have acquired any sort of capacity to meet and cope with the whites in civilized pursuits who did not gain that ability by going among the whites and out from the reservations, and that many have gained this ability by so going out. So, child, just real quick. So, the five civilized tribes that cut the deal went on to the reservations. They're telling you, he's giving you a number of 250,000. So out of the millions of Indians, 250,000, I think this was like uh, 18, late 1800s. I think, uh, what, 1890s, something like that. I think this is was written in 1888. So those five civilized tribes, as of this writing, if his numbers are accurate, and I have to question those, uh, but let's say for the sake, he said 250,000. He wanted the 250,000, wanted them to even come off of those reservations and to become citizens. Okay? Theorizing citizenship into people is a slow operation. What a farce it would be to attempt to teaching American citizenship to the Negroes in Africa. They could not understand it. And if they did in the midst of such contrary influences, they could never use it. Neither can the Indians understand or use American citizenship theoretically taught to them on Indian reservations. They must get into the swim of American citizenship. They must feel the touch of it day after day until they become saturated with the spirit of it and thus become equal to it. When we cease to teach the Indian that he is less than a man, when we recognize fully that he is capable in all aspects as we are, and that he only needs the opportunities and privileges 
which we possess to enable him to assert his humanity and manhood when we act consistently towards him in accordance with that recognition, when we cease to fetter him to conditions which keep him in bondage, surrounding by retrogressive influence, influences, when we allow him the freedom and association and the development influences of social contact, then the Indian will quickly demonstrate that he can be truly civilized and he himself will solve the question of what to do with the Indian. So this was from the official report of the 19th Annual Con uh, Conference of Charity and, and Correction in 1892. So this particular source is from History Matters. And this is Kill the Indian and Save the Man by Captain Richard H. Pratt on the education of Native Americans, okay? So um, I hope you all got some value out of this as this conversation of heritage is only just beginning. Now it is getting mainstream attention, okay? And I've heard many folks that talk about, well, what's your culture? What's your heritage? What happened to it? How come you don't know? Uh, uh, okay, then. Here you go. And this is not exclusive to the Americas. This was all over the world. And not to mention those same folks asking about what happened to the culture and heritage. I can say the same for you. What happened to your culture and heritage? What happened to your native tongue or indigenous tongue? We can't even say native. What happened to your indigenous tongue? Okay. It is called colonization. It is called citizenship. It is called being subjects. It is called commerce. All right. So I want to thank everyone uh, for listening. And if you are not subscribed, I highly encourage you to subscribe, like, and share. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Peace and love, family.